Hello and welcome back to another episode of Tiny Talks Radio, the Sheer Weeks. This time we're doing a Sheer. God willing, every other week we do the Sheer, and the other weeks we do the topics, always talking from the Torah perspective, some topics or a topic for the week for the audience and members to keep. Tani Talks Radio is brought to you by She or Enjoyment Radio. Check out their website. Awesome content from awesome rabbis and speakers. SheOrEnjoyment.com. Sheer Enjoyment Radio. Find the app. Listen to the app. Use the app on Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You can listen to previous episodes of Tani Talks Podcasts and the Tani Talks Radio Show. Streaming back-to-back looping on the on the app when we're not doing live on Monday nights, so you could hear the previous episodes playing throughout the week, which is a really cool feature, actually. And, of course, you could listen to us on those two apps. You could listen to us at the streamer link. You could listen to us at 520-453-8302. You could listen to us on the podcast links on Yidpon and other places after the fact. And you could also join us on the Tani Talks podcast WhatsApp group to get the recordings directly to your phone, to your WhatsApp. This week we want to talk a little bit about elevating the mundane. The whole idea of Judaism revolves around this, and we're going to use Kiddush as the main example to bring it home. We have some great sources, we have some great articles, we have a great story to bring to you, and so bear with us. God willing, we try to talk about an hour or so to bring it home. I apologize about my allergies or whatnot. Definitely crazy weather going on there, so I apologize for the voice sounding a little different than usual. Thank you for joining us, and tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell people about the Tani Talks podcast and Tani Talks radio. So let's talk a little bit about elevating the mundane. Did you ever notice how things we do in life, things we do in Judaism, things we do in our life, in our Judaic life, takes the physical and makes it spiritual. Everything we do in the Judaic life, in Judaism, in Jewish life, takes something physical and makes it spiritual. In fact, if you think about our life from the first breath of life, it's exactly that. We have two nefashos in us, as you will. We have the nefesh bahami and the nefesh ha You have the spiritual soul, the spiritual element to your body, to your soul, to your existence that only wants to do good, that only wants to be elevated, that only wants to get higher and higher and wants to do the right thing. And then you have the nefesh ha-bahami, nefesh ha-bahami, really, the animalistic soul that only wants materialism, that only wants gashmias, that only wants to feed its needs and its desires, give me more, give me more. It's very selfish, very body Ific. That's why we have the body and the soul, but really there's two aspects that are warring in each other, and we hope to always take the guf and elevate it to the neshama. We always hope to take the behema and elevate it to the sikhli, elevate it to the sikhli. And that's what we have in life in general. From the first moment of life, when the, the behema and the nefesh come together, the guf and the nefesh and the neshama come together, our whole life is about taking that behema aspect, the physical aspect, the material aspecting it, elevating it to the spiritual, elevating it to the neshama aspect. That's what Judaism is all about. Throughout different aspects of life, throughout the day, throughout Yom Tov, throughout Shabbos, it's taking the physical and making it spiritual. It's all about elevating the mundane from our tzitzis to our talis to our kippah to our kiddush cup and more to our tefillin. Every aspect has some physical element to it, but we take it and we elevate it to a higher level. We take a seemingly physical item, we take a seemingly physical object, and we sanctify it and we make it holy, we make it spiritual, we make it to a higher level. Every aspect is governed by Jewish life. Every element to our life is governed by Jewish law in the home, throughout different aspects of the home, in the shul, at the job, on the way. Everything is guided by Hashem and guided by Judaism. We're supposed to take the physical, everything physical, and make it spiritual. And the key point, the key example I like to use is that of Kiddush for tonight. Taking that wine, taking that grape juice, or that sparkling grape juice, which we try to use, and elevating it to the spiritual. Because in our life, in our days and how we go about our ways, everything in our life can be elevated to the spiritual. So when you're taking out the trash, and I hope you take out the trash for the husbands listening and for those wives who do it, call it a vote. Whoever takes out the trash, when you take out the trash, not if, but when you take out the trash, don't just take out the trash. 
take out a mitzvah with you. I am whatever the words are, before we say an actual mitzvah such as talis or tefillin, we say, I am ready, I am prepared to do this. Think to yourself, I am ready to make my house a little cleaner, to make my house a little more naki, to make my house a little more elevated, a little more spiritual, a little more kadosh a little more holy by getting rid of this nasty refuse, this nasty garbage that's all the way to the top. I could tell you, last year we specifically switched to the biggest garbage can I could find that was not crazy large. It's already very large, but it's not outlandish like an outdoor garbage can. And even so, getting this 80 liter simple human garbage can, a very good company, but a very large garbage can, even so, the trash literally piles up Every single day. I don't know how it's possible. We used to have the 13 gallon, then we tried like a 50 liter, which is like a 14 or 15 gallon. We switched to this one, which is, I guess, a 20 gallon, 80 liter. Every single day, for some reason, it, 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 it adds up. Somehow it builds up. Every day, I take out the garbage yesterday, I got to take it out again today. How is that possible? I just replaced the garbage pail with a new garbage today. How is that possible? So every day I got to take out the trash. But when I take out the trash, if I think to myself, oh man, this is a really annoying chore. I hate doing this. This is gross. What a gross thing we have to do in our home. Then I'm going to feel negative. I'm going to feel cynical. I'm going to feel annoyed. But if I think to myself, I'm not taking out the trash. I am allowing for more kadusha, I'm allowing for more holiness. I'm allowing for more cleanliness in my own house. What a nice feeling getting rid of the trash, tossing the trash. I'm allowing Hashem a little more into my home by making the garbage, the refuse, the nastiness of whatever, dirty diapers and dirty food and gross remains, whatever of different things, throwing it out every day. I'm getting the house a little more clean, a little more of a, a mikdash ma'at in my home. We know that the base kinesis, the base merdash, of course, is a mikdash ma'at, but our home as well could be a mikdash ma'at. Our home, if the shulchan at your table, Chazal tell us and Perkeos tell us that the shulchan that you're sitting at, if you don't talk Torah, it's like eating from the shulchan of Zivchaimesim, God forbid. But if you talk Torah, it's like eating from the Zbeach of the temple. So our homes on some level is a temple. Why would we want our temple, our homes to stink? Why would we want it to smell? Why would we want it to be dirty or yucky? Granted, I could tell you firsthand, we have four little kids, Kanina Hara, two kids, two boys, all seven and under, very, very, very difficult to keep the house clean and in order and maintain, but at least some semblance of at least the trash being taken out. We think I'd have garbage Tuesdays and Thursdays and on Shabbos. They come three times a week, so we got to make it that we utilize each of those times that they come. Don't just take out the trash. Take on a mitzvah with you. And I, I tell you, even though I pushed myself to empty the bottom, the main floor bathroom, and the upstairs bathroom, and then I check the girls' room and the boys' room in our room. If we need to take out any garbage, and then I check the diaper pails in the girls' room upstairs, and then the diaper pail in the bottom bathroom, and then I check the regular pail in the kitchen. When I take that all out, it feels very satisfying. I don't know a better word. I actually read an article from Aish a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. I think Amuna Braverman talks about how something seemingly mundane, something seemingly trivial, like taking out the trash, if you have a different mindset, you have a different outlook. You have a different way of going about it, thinking about it. It could feel really spiritual. It could feel really wonderful. She has hana'a. She has benefit when she takes out the trash. She puts it in the pail and she sees the garbage man haul it away. I also feel that hana'a on some level. When I take out the trash, when I take out the garbage, I feel... The hana, that the house is a little cleaner and that all that yuck is out of the house, all that garbage is out of the house on the days that I empty the diaper pail, the dirty, dirty, yucky, smelly diapers, even though we use the, the diaper genie with the diaper genie refills, it's supposed to keep the smells out. It doesn't. At least it does better than, than not. When you get all that out of the house, it's like you're taking a mitzvah with you. So we've could, we could reframe the mundane things we do in life just like taking out the trash. When you wash the dishes, I could tell you one of the most tedious, difficult chores that I do. I try to do the house stuff, and my wife takes care of other stuff. We do a little bit of role reversal in our lives, and I'll tell you, it's a wonderful thing to be able to try to maintain a home. Difficult, but wonderful. So washing the dishes actually for me is one of the hardest chores to actually find. Cooking is not so bad. Baking is not so bad. Even laundry doesn't 
really tied up, and even the trash just isn't tied up to the dishes. I feel like washing the dishes might be one of the hardest because it has all this cook and it sits there and piles up so easily. Everything you make, every pot, every pan just goes in the sink needs to be washed and then there's the sensory aspect of the you know if you're touching the gook yuck and then you got to get the chillin pot to clean it off i know there are different ways where you could burn it out or you could soap it out i've tried that but when you wash the dishes it might be difficult so as an ot i've thought about over the years how could we make it more enjoyable as a side point elevate the mundane task of washing the dishes so I, myself, and it's not the three weeks that we're in currently, we should be zochah to only have happy things and not the three weeks leading to the nine days, leading to the Shabbat, should only be a yom tov of yagon v'simcha, speedily in our days. When I wash dishes, oftentimes I will listen to a podcast, sometimes like Rabbi Orlovsky is amazing to listen to, so funny. I literally will laugh out loud while washing the dishes, and a lot of times, more often than not, I will listen to Naki Radio, which I love. Talked about many, many times. NakiRadio.com. I have the home, which I think is the best version of what they have. They have the solo with one speaker, the duo with two speakers, and then they have the home, which has three speakers and a remote. Really beautiful product. It sits right behind me while I do the radio show and podcasting. It sits right behind me on the counter into the kitchen when I'm sitting at the dining room table. Really, really cool product, of course. Thanks to them. We have a channel on the Tani Talks podcast channel, thanks to them. And we have the Sheer Enjoyment radio channel, thanks to them, Baruch Hashem. And they have many other beautiful channels. They have JRoot, where we're on also, Baruch Hashem. But in general, we, we talk about the elements. What can we do? How can we be involved in taking the mundane tasks and elevating them? So when I'm washing the dishes and it's difficult for me, putting on the music, really good music, I listen to the electrical channel. They have many different choices, many different channels, podcast channels, radio channels. J-Root is one of them. Thanks to them for hosting us also. Besides for the Sheer Enjoyment Radio channel and the Nachum Siegel channel, thanks to them for having our Parsha show Thursdays at 10 p.m. and also our Tani Talks podcast channel. But in general... They have a great electrical channel. It's like a dance channel. It's like techno music. Really good uplifting music. They have so many good artists on at the same at on that channel. At one time will be Nissan Black, and then you'll have Mordechai Shapiro. It's kind of like a DJ putting on really good pop music songs, rap sometimes, Jewish rap. Awesome. Other times I'll plug in my own phone via Bluetooth to the Bluetooth speaker and play the music while doing the dishes. It makes it much more enjoyable. I'm elevating the experience of washing the dishes in the sink. Spark your neshama. Spark your neshama. By doing the dishes, you get a dance party going, and then the kids join me. A lot of times the two older boys, and then the girl will come, and I'm sure the baby is also rocking in her seat, in her stroller, or with mommy. As we're playing the music, it becomes a tamad b'simcha kind of a thing. Ivduos Hashem b'simcha. Then we're serving Hashem, we're cleaning the house, we're cleaning the dishes, we're elevating the mundane task of washing the dishes by playing some music or a podcast because everything can really be uplifted everything in life and that's the point in Judaism in a Jewish way of life in Yahadut everything should be uplifted everything can be uplifted and we should find ways to do that and I think a classic example is that of Kiddush we come to it every week on Friday night we elevate the grape juice or the wine for those of you that drink wine we don't drink alcohol my wife and I in general, out of principle, even on, on, on Purim, but that's another story. So when we come to Shabbat, we come to Friday night to Shabbos, we have that sparkling grape juice, we elevate the grape juice to a whole other level. I will tell you, Fridays and Sundays personally are the hardest days of the week. The hardest. Friday, you're running against the clock. I work a full day. You know, we set up food for Shabbos and we set up the chill and we set up the soup, oftentimes doing it before I leave to work and sometimes doing other things the night before or two nights before sometimes. We set up different things. But as we come home, it's a race against the clock. I get home at 4 o'clock. Now that this summer, we're in summer school session, I work for the DOE. I try to always work summer. It's good extra money. I find it a, a different vibe. I find it nice and relaxed in general. I'm happy working for the school system, but in summer, it's extra. And it's a little faster hours, it's a little more chill, and then I come home at 4 o'clock. From 4 o'clock to 7, 8 o'clock, if you choose early Shabbos or not, it's literally a rush against the clock. No matter if Shabbos comes in, by the way, at 4 o'clock in winter or 8 o'clock in summer, I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me it's always a rush against the clock. No matter what we do, you can prepare everything on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for somehow, some way, somehow, some why, it's always 
a rush against the clock. Then we got to get make sure that the son gets off the bus and make sure that the baby's diaper and fed. Make sure that we pick up the other two kids from camp. Make sure that they're that they're uh, they're bathed and that we're bathed and ready and where we feed them before Shabbos and we make sure set everything up. So the whole day is a run, a race against the machine, a race against the clock, and we finally settle down. And the kids are in bed because we put them into bed. We try to get them in bed between 6.30 and 7.30 on average. Again, they're not so old. So when we finally sit down, we catch our breath and we sit down. We say, Shalom Aleichem and Eish and everything we do, Kiddush. And we come to Kiddush. It is a wonderful feeling to be able to sanctify the day. And you feel that metaphorical blue light first when the, the candles are lit. We take the candles, we elevate the day, we sanctify the day, we makadish the day. I talk about it often. I feel this unseen metaphorical blue light going throughout the house sanctifying the day and then we come to kiddush the most satisfying drink of the entire week is kiddush i cannot describe it any better the day is running around so much and even if we have kid dinner with the kids and we sit down we're we're thirsty and we we want to drink that that first sip of sparkling grape juice and i've tried different flavors you know blush raspberry currently my favorite is concord from kedem so when we take that first sip it is so satisfying it is so kedai i can't i can't think of a word geschmack is a really word in a yeshiva term it's like amazing awesome wonderful sababa excellent we take that first sip and we're elevating the day you don't beat that you can't beat that i could drink it during the week when i'm thirsty I could eat it during the week when I'm really, really thirsty, but it doesn't have the same hana'ah. It doesn't have the same benefit. It doesn't have the same effect. Same thing going with my Onik Shabbos. Oftentimes, I'll try to get pomegranate seeds for Friday night. I find that a really nice thing to sit down once the kids are asleep and we eat the meal and we do a little Dvar Torah and a little singing. So afterwards, I like to sit down with pomegranate seeds and then I also, my guilty pleasure is actually getting sour bites, sour belts, strawberry. I find those delicious. I could eat it during the week, the pomegranate seeds or the sour belts, which are like my two guilty pleasures for owning Shabbos on Friday night. But it won't taste the same. It won't feel the same because I'm not elevating something mundane. I'm just eating a mundane thing during the week. On Shabbos, when I elevate that, it's my owning Shabbos. It's my special thing for Shabbos. It tastes different. I might sound crazy. It might be psychological, but it definitely, to me, tastes different. Same thing with chulin. I make the chulin for Shabbos. It tastes Extra geschmack, extra amazing and delicious on Shabbos. I heat it up on Sunday. It's still delicious, but it doesn't have the same effect. I don't have that extra pintalayid, that extra nesham yaseira that Hashem gives us on Shabbos. I don't have that. It doesn't taste the same. So anything you could do and you could set it for Shabbos, Shabbos is elevating that. The grape juice, the chillin, the sour belts, the sour bites, my guilty pleasure for Shabbos, the pomegranate seeds, also a guilty pleasure for Shabbos. These different things, you know, reading a book also. Lahavdil, reading a Jewish novel, a Jewish book, I get such hana sitting and reading Friday night by the candles. I could open the book during the week. It's not the same because you're not elevating the mundane during the week. Yes, you're doing a Jewish book. It's a wonderful thing if you want to chill out and do something more conductive, more productive. Yes, but we're elevating it extra special on Shabbos, this mundane act of reading a book. This is an aspect of owning Shabbos for me. After I take care of the kids, after my wife is, is all good and, and everything is set and she's able to relax, we're able to relax, everything is done. I did the da for the day. We made sure to finish the parsha for the week. Ah, now I can sit down and I can read my novel. You know, this novel, this thriller, this suspense is so good. I am in the middle of the third chapter. I cannot put it down. Last week, I finished a book that I was been working on for weeks, if not months, from M. Kanan. Excellent, excellent author. She has a new book out called... I already forget what it's called. I just finished it. But Abandoned, excuse me. It was called Abandoned. I'm not going to give away the story. It's like 600 pages. Start. It took a little while for me to get into it. A couple of hundred pages, but the last 100, 150 pages were excellent. Could not put it down. Finally finished it at the, edge, the end of Shabbos last week. And we were doing a little Tosef at Shabbos because my wife and I, when the Shabbos day ends, we're very, very tired. So we don't always end it right away on time. So she was napping, so I decided to start a new book. I couldn't put it down. First chapter, second chapter, third chapter. Excellent thriller, excellent suspense book from Yair Weinstock. Excellent writer also. So this book, when I read it after Shabbos, I read it during the week, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same experience. And that's really everything in our life. Judaism teaches us to take the mundane and elevate the mundane. 
It takes things in life, starting with the first second when we're alive. We have the guf, we have the neshama, we have the eternal battle between the two. Who's going to win? Who's going to come out on top? Is it the guf, is it the body, or is it the neshama, the soul? What we can do in life is to transform everything and elevate everything, whether it's for Shabbos, whether it's doing the, the trash, whether it's the dishes, whatever you cook. You could cook for your family, and it's one mitzvah, but you could cook for someone else, and you're doing what I call in my mind, hachanasas orchim, giving for others, doing for others, being a host. You're hosting the meal for them, dropping it off for them. Just this week, the assistant rabbi and assistant rabbis moved in a couple of weeks ago. Actually, a very good friend of my wife. There was a, a whole vote of different candidates, and, and wonderfully, the friend won. So my wife welcomed her a couple of weeks ago, brought her a candy platter, and then they had a baby, the third kid, Baruch Hashem, they have twins and now a boy. So my wife was able to go to the bris, which is really wonderful. She took the baby, and then we signed up for the potluck or the take them a meal or the meal train, whatever you want to call it, where there's six weeks set up. I've talked about this many times in different shows. We've had it for our kids, Baruch Hashem, and we try to do it for other people, Plain Editor, where you, you literally cook for other people and we try to give them four, five, six weeks in our town. So we were up on Sunday night. So if I cook for my family, yes, it's feeding them. Yes, I'm trying to be a good parent. I'm trying to be a good spouse. But when you cook for someone else, that's a real mitzvah. It's cooking. It's a basic mundane need. It's a basic physical act of eating. But when I'm cooking for someone else, I'm taking care of their meal. I'm taking care of their dinner. That is elevating the mundane act and the mundane ability of cooking and eating. And it's so simple. You know, a lot of people don't do this, and I don't know why. You think my life is less busy than yours? You think my life is less busy than someone else's? Baruch Hashem, it's very busy. And there are people who are even busier than us with X number of kids, X number of jobs, X number of responsibilities, and they do it too. I think it's a wonderful thing that everyone should be involved in. You don't have to cook a 100 things, but maybe something. And of course, the way we do it, I like it to be a fully inclusive meal. And I love seeing the payback when we had our youngest daughter. I loved seeing when it was all-inclusive, kind of. I wonder if they learned from us. We're very, I try to be mocked that I give them the seltzer and a water and cups and plates and mini plates and bowls and spoons and forks and knives and also napkins. I try to give them like a fruit platter for dessert. And then I try to give them kid food and regular food. So on Sunday, we made some noodles, spaghetti noodles, and then we made some chicken nuggets. We made some uh, a broccoli chicken fancy uh, Chinese kind of a dish. And then for the wife who, who didn't want to have the meat, I made it like a, a chicken lo mein without the chicken, so noodles with the vegetables. So every, something for everyone. And if I'm cooking for my kids and I'm cooking for my wife, but then I cook for someone else, you're literally taking the mundane act of cooking and elevating it, making it more spiritual. Sending food to someone, sending packages to someone, donating the food, cooking for someone else, giving clothing. These are all mundane things that get a beautiful elevated aspect when you're involved in it. These are all things we can do. It just starts with thinking about what we could do. And a simple thing, by the way, that's what spurred me on many, many year, many moons ago, a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons ago, to start the idea of podcasting because it's simple. It's an act of speaking, using audio, using radio, but we can elevate it also to talk Torah, to talk mitzvahs, to talk chesed, to talk Torah learning. Most of my shows are Jewish in nature, the Perkei show, the Daf Yomi show, the, oh, the Parsha show, and the Perkei show. And then, of course, we have the, this radio show, which was formerly Life, where we try to talk a shir every other week, and then topics related to Judaism and life. And then the OT show also, we tie in a lot of Jewish things. Any mundane thing, our cell phone, our computer, we can use it for Torah. We can use it for shir, and we can use it to elevate our lives. Of course, it can be used for good or bad. We try to use it more for good than anything else in our lives. Try to elevate your soul, elevate your life, elevate the mundane. Laura Palatnik points out on H.com that the word Kiddush, Kiddush is from the same root as Kodesh, holy. To elevate the physical to a level of spirituality is part of a challenge in this world to take the physical pleasure from Hashem that He gave us, that He provided, and use it for a higher purpose. Let's face it, you could take anything physical and abuse it. You can drink wine to excess and fall down, get drunk, or you could pour wine or grape juice into a silver cup and say a bracha over it, designating the next 24 hours on Shabbos as special. 24 hours of experiencing the more refined things in life, friends, nature, singing, discussion, prayer, 
It's a wonderful day. Wine brings joy. Grape juice also brings joy. What greater joy could there possibly be than knowing that Hashem is there, watching over all that He created with love? The curtain is rising and then Shabbos begins. H.com points out with Shoshana Dresser, the Medrash relates that Hanoch, from the portion of Boratius, was a shoemaker. As he stitched the shoes, his mind was occupied with elevated thoughts. He was thinking elevated thoughts when he was making the shoes. You would think there's nothing more mundane than making shoes. Rabbi Saul Salantra explains that these elevated thoughts were not of a mystical nature, but thoughts that ensure that each stitch was perfect in order not to cheat his customers, to ensure that he provided them with comfortable shoes. He wanted to make sure that they had good shoes. He wanted to make sure that they were comfortable. He wanted to make sure that they were able to walk around and to get around in life. His main motivation was to help others rather than merely making a living. Isn't that beautiful? His main motivation was literally to help others, not just to worry about making a living. Isn't that wonderful? If all of us could think that way, that would be fantastic. My wife also always, not always, but oftentimes tells me and chides me on the different things, the different projects I'm involved in that don't make money. It's so wonderful to be involved in passions and involved in side projects and hobbies. I just wish it could make a little money. I agree. I totally agree. But it doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing these things because I want to make sure to be involved in things that I feel Hashem sent me. The kid idea I've been working on for years, kind of like a Jewish wears Waldo. I have a whole theme and everything to it. I even made up a whole aspect to do it per week for a paper and many papers shut it down it's not good enough it's not this enough it's not i really feel strongly it's a great idea it's not making any money i put so much heart and soul into it but like chanoch it's not about the money it's making sure that those things are getting out he didn't want to even make the money he wanted to make sure I mean, he wanted to make the money, but it wasn't about the money. He wanted to make sure there was comfortable shoes. The radio show, the podcast, it doesn't make money. It's just uh, using an ability, using what I think Hashem gave me, a talent, to elevate the mundane, to get things out there. Another craft idea I want to send every week to a paper, it's not making money. They don't give money for this, for all these things. It's just how are we involved in our life to make sure to help others, to do what we can to help others. After 120 years, they're not going to say, Tani, did you make 120 grand? Did you make so much money to have a huge house? They're going to say, did you use your qualities? Did you use your talents? Did you use your abilities to elevate the world around you? To elevate the mundane around you? To make a difference in the world? To do good in the world with your Dalit Amos? I don't want to come after 120 years and Hashem says, why didn't you do that radio show? You could have spoke. You could have done. You could have brought Torah to the world. Why didn't you do the Daf show? You could have easily used your, your ability to talk and maybe a gift on some level. You could have used your gift. If you have a gift of writing, don't wait till 120 years till they say, Shmuel, why didn't you use your gift of writing? You could have made such a difference. Provide the world with something. Elevate the mundane. Do what you can. Hanukh's main motivation was to help others rather than merely live, making a living. Anyone who is a teacher, who is a rabbi, who works in professions that don't make a lot will agree to this. Their main motivation is not money. Many people say in the DOE and, and alike, especially private school, you don't go into it for the money. You go into it for the chinuch, to help others. The main motivation is to help others rather than merely making a living. This was how Chanoch attached himself to God, to Hashem. And that comes from the Mechtav Me'eliyahu. With this in mind, he transformed each stitch. With his mind, he transformed each stitch of the shoe. A main Job, a mundane job became an act of loving kindness of chesed. This is a life-changing concept. Actions that we don't usually look at as being acts of loving kindness of chesed can be imbued with meaning simply via our intentions. Just by our intentions, we can make a difference. We can make a ripple effect in the whole world. An accountant is helping people to manage their accounts. A surveyor is ensuring safe and comfortable living conditions. A grocery owner is providing the public with nutrition. Once realized, a day-to-day job can take on a new meaning, whatever you do. The same principle applies also to smaller daily actions, such as handing something to someone, or even emptying the rubbish we talked about before on behalf of the household. With the correct thoughts, the actions become beautiful and fulfilling acts of giving, benefiting both the giver and the recipient. A changed mindset can transform the mundane into a mitzvah.
Rabbi Wyman points out on H.com that when you think about it, most of our entire lives is spent doing mundane activities. How much time do we eat? How much time do we sleep? How much time do we use the bathroom, fill the car with gas, get dressed, get undressed, shower, etc.? We spend an incredible amount of time on the mundane. Why would Hashem design a world with so much time spent on seemingly meaningless activities? But that's the reason. It's not meaningless. We would think so much mundane aspects to life. Doesn't he want us to be holy, quote-unquote? Some would try to be holy by searching for a cave to spend all their time in meditation and prayer. This may not be such a bad idea, but certainly doesn't seem to be the intention of Hashem. It's harder to be in the world and try to elevate it on its own terms. This is the challenge of life and the design of the universe. Pick one activity, a challenge for you. Pick one activity that you do on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. Try to discover some elevated thoughts you could consistently have while doing it. Also, if we think about the idea of kosher, precisely through eating kosher, keeping our pots kosher, that we elevate the mundane act of eating to a service of Hashem. This is only an example. We must extrapolate to all mundane acts and strive to make them holy, to make them kadosh. Take just one meal this week. Out of all of your meals, try to elevate the meal by thinking only about eating kosher, eating healthy food, and eating for the sole purpose of gaining the strength to serve Hashem. I cannot tell you how often in work that I have to think about kosher. I work in a non-Jewish environment, obviously, in the DOE, working for the city of New York as an occupational therapist, in my seven years working, I've been in over 12 schools, maybe 13, 14 by now. Every single place I've been has been non-Jewish in design. And every single place I've been is non-kosher, non-kosher. So if I see something kosher, I latch on to it. They're throwing away something, and they encourage the staff, don't let us throw it away, you can have it once the kids are done. I see the apples in the package, it's kosher, let me have it! I see that ice is it's kosher, let me have it! And when there's a potluck or a lunch or a get-together or a baby shower, how often is it that it's not kosher and I can't eat it? In my most recent placement before the summer, I was a middle village. I happened to be a couple of Jewish people. So in the party celebrations they had for the end of the school year, there actually was a table of kosher stuff. What a concept to actually have kosher stuff. We had bagels and cream cheese and I brought in some kugel that I make all the time, and there was some lasagna. So there was some actual kosher stuff. But when we're going in our life, if we live in a Jewish town, we, we have Jewish eateries and we have Jewish supermarkets, you don't even have to think about anything in the store. Phenomenal concept. That wasn't the way for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years. You had to actually think about everything you ate. You go to a stop and shop. You go to a Target. You have to look and check that every item is kosher. You go to a Jewish supermarket. Voila! Everything is kosher. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to elevate your experience of shopping because everything is already kosher. Obviously, if you're cooking for people and you get ready for Shabbos and you're doing this or that, yes, you're elevating it. But even more so, you go to a non-Jewish store. You have to think about everything and look at every label every item to see that it's kosher. I actually don't understand what they do in Europe because when we went to London, my wife and I went for our honeymoon, we went to London and then Israel, an amazing trip with a lot of its own stories worth its own lecture, worth its own radio talk maybe one time. But we were in London, very difficult to figure out what's kosher now. you got to ask the locals how to go about it. They don't have symbols on things. They know things that are standard. Very difficult to go about that thing. Here in America, obviously, and, and of course in Israel, there are ways of going about it to know how to eat kosher, find kosher. But when you work in a non-Jewish place, you got to think about everything you're eating or bring your own food, obviously. I bring my own food, and it's uh, pretty sad, you know. The, the therapists oftentimes will eat together and they say to come, so for Kiddush Hashem, I join one time. They have this lavish, amazing, non-kosher spread and I have my little Geffen instant soup. How inferior did that meal feel? How nebuch, tragic, sad, not tragic, how sad on some level was that meal that I was having this little instant soup while they had this lavish Mexican situation. But on some level, my meal was much more elevated than theirs because they were talking narishkite and nonsense and their food was all not kosher. And my one little measly instant soup from Geffen was elevated because I am only holding my kosher item and I am eating my kosher item. 
Interestingly, Rabbi Geffen, not playing like that, Rabbi Geffen points out on H.com, the purpose of creation really means that man is supposed to take the land and turn it into heaven through performance of mitzvahs in the physical realm. The Shem Shmuel elaborates, it is insufficient to live a purely spiritual existence, rather one must be involved in elevating the physical world. When the Jewish people completely succeed in this ultimate goal, they will achieve the goal of creation and the end of days will take place. When this occurs, all the nations will also be profoundly affected and be this change, for they will be forced to reject all forms of immorality and also strive to elevate their physical existence. Everything we do can be elevated and should be elevated. We think about Kiddush, we think about everything in our life, we should elevate the mundane. We should elevate all aspects of those things around us. H.com points out themselves, Yaakov Avinu referred to the Mikdash in serving Hashem as a house, a bias, like we talked about in the beginning. Your bias, your house, your dira, your apartment, where you live, what you call home is your type of Mikdash. Your type of Mikdash. What can you do to make it a little more nakid, to make it a little more clean, a little more serving of Hashem? And of course, here and there, we're going to have stumbles and falls, but in general... How can we make it that we have it in such a way? It seems that these various descriptions represent the different ways that the Avos related to serving Hashem. Why does Yaakov describe it as a bias, as a house? A house is the location of all the mundane activities that a person performs throughout his daily life, eating, sleeping, and work. Of all the Avos, Yaakov is the one who is most required to be deeply involved in the daily vicissitudes of life, such as dealing with dishonest people, like Lavan, his uncle, spending long hours at work, and years, seven years for this one, seven years for that one, even though they married a week apart, bringing up a large family. For many years, he was forced to deal with mundane areas that are not in and of themselves mitzvahs, and he was unable to devote all his time to learning and prayer. Tvila, one aspect of Yaakov's greatness is that he was able to live in such an environment, elevate his daily activities into acts of holiness, of Kedusha. This is what he declares to his brother Asa when he returns from his long years in Gullus. I lived, Garti, with Lavan. The rabbis tell us that the word Garti, you switch around the letters, is Taryag. Garti, Taryag, which represents the 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. Yaakov was alluding to the fact that he remained steadfast in his service of Hashem, despite living in conditions that were not conducive to spirituality. So Yaakov elevated all activities because he saw them as opportunities for holiness. He viewed the seemingly mundane home as a vehicle for the service of Hashem. We have seen the importance of elevating the home. This has been very pertinent over the course of the height of the pandemic. For a year and a half, when many people throughout the world were confined to their homes, and the shuls and the study halls were closed down, the home was the epicenter and the focal point. And it should be the epicenter and the focal point, because that's really where the children learn. That's really where we should learn how to elevate our lives and elevate our surroundings. Rabbi Weinberg Zetzal from Aish, the founder of Aish, and Aish.com point out, identify and intensify your pleasures in life. Articulate exactly what is this specific one. What makes it taste good, look good, smell good, feel good. For example, ice cream, it's cold, sweet, and soft. Friends give security, connected, a sense of being understood. Torah gives clarity, wisdom, and transcendence. Be a gourmet of life. Focus and make sure you're getting the full pleasure. Swish it around in your mind and prolong its taste. The deeper appreciation will motivate and energize you. Judaism, in general, takes a middle road. Hashem made a physical world not to frustrate us, but for us to enjoy, to have Hana'a. You know, after 120, Hashem is going to ask, Why didn't you enjoy my world? Did you enjoy my world? Why didn't you have a wonderful pomegranate that has great juicy seeds? Why didn't you have an awesome orange that had zesty tanginess to it? Life should be for us to enjoy in the right way. Life should be beautiful and engaging. Jewish spirituality is not achieved by meditating for years on a mountaintop or by fasting in a reclusive monastery. Jewish spirituality comes through grappling with the mundane world in a way that uplifts and elevates. On Friday night, on Shabbos Kodesh, we raise the cup of wine or grape juice and use it not to get drunk, but to make Kiddush and sanctify the Shabbos day. Spirituality, says Judaism, is to be found in the kitchen, in the kitchen, the office, and yes, even other areas as well. 
Hashem created the world for our pleasure. Bishvilin ivraha olam, the Talmud tells us. The Talmud says, we just mentioned, if a person has the opportunity to taste a new fruit and refuses to do so, he will have to account for that in the olam hab, in the world to come. What is so special about fruits? Hashem could have created bland oatmeal with all the vitamins and minerals necessary for our survival, but fruits are the dessert that Hashem made. It's a labor of love. Solely for our pleasure, refusing to taste it shows a lack of appreciation. The Chachamim, the sages that Sal also teach that an elderly person should sit in the sun. No matter how much you appreciate wisdom and learning, you still have to treat the body well. Even when the physical strength has dwindled, one can still derive delight from the warmth of the sun. The Torah also instructs us to recite of bracha, of thanks, before partaking of any food or drink, or even when encountering phenomena like thunder or rainbow. Saying a blessing, a bracha, gives us time to pause and reflect to remember that everything is a grand gift. Take note of how many opportunities you have to take pleasure each day. The sunrise, a splash of cold water, a refreshing breeze. Are you paying attention? Are you elevating that mundane? Are you capitalizing on that mundane? Or are you riding over them like a bag of potato chips? To waste anything in life is foolish. To waste pleasure is absurd. The body is, the, is to the soul like a car is to the driver. Keep the body feeling good so the soul can tackle what life is about. We live in a pleasure world. Make sure you get the true lasting pleasures. Watch out that you don't use material pleasures as a way of running away from life. Overindulgence drains self-respect. To get the most pleasure out of life, be full of vitality and purpose. Savor your pleasures like a gourmet. Translate all your pleasures into energy for living. When you have a cup of coffee or some other drink that you love, I myself do not like coffee, even though my wife says that I make a wicked coffee for her. When you have that cup of whatever you like, you feel good. Now, how will you apply that burst of energy? To maximize any physical experience, make sure to get the meaning behind it. Don't retreat from life. Elevate it. Wisdom is a delicious flavor. Translate the energy of a good ice cream cone into wisdom. Don't get lost in a bag of potato chips. Make sure to elevate the physical to the spiritual. Make sure to use the godly path. Make sure to be involved in the godly path. H.com points out with author Amona Braverman, any job can be meaningful, as we hinted to earlier, because it's not what you do, but how you do it. If the dry cleaner greets you with a cheerful hello, if the car mechanic is honest and quick, if the bank teller treats you like a person, they're infusing their job with meaning. If a craftsman cares about his product, if top quality materials are used and time and attention lavished, then they're elevating the mundane. If a plumber connects all the pipes with care and precision, if you know one who can, please give numbers to people who need him. Not trying to cut corners, but the plumber makes sure he's ethical and make sure his efforts are done in the right way in the right time frame his efforts acquire a spiritual component if a stockbroker is zealous on behalf of his clients and follows all the ethics rules of his profession then he too has found a way to make his job more than just work and if the paycheck supports spouses children elderly parents charitable organizations the stretch actively infuses the work with meaning you don't have to save lives as a doctor or Hatzalah or a nurse to make a difference and find job satisfaction. You don't have to save lives to volunteer for a nonprofit. You have to follow the wisdom of Nike, Lahavdil, and just do it. Listen to this fascinating story from the Survivors Club, the true story of a very young prisoner of Auschwitz, also on guidepost.org. Michael Bornstein was born in Zarki, Poland, into the chaos and the destructiveness and the tragedy and travesty of World War II. At just four years old, he was sent along with his entire family to Auschwitz, Yemach Shemam to all those people, in the notorious Nazi death camp in Poland. 3,400 Jews lived and worked in Michael's hometown before the war. Less than 30 returned. Almost all of them, Michael's family members, an incredible story that Michael documented in his story memoir, Survivor's Club, co-written with his daughter, Debbie. In it, Michael details the horrors of his experience during the Holocaust, but also the many miracles he witnessed as one of the tragedy's youngest survivors. This excerpt we're about to talk about from Survivor's Club is about one such miracle, the survival of a small silver kiddush cup that ended up being a symbol of hope, faith, and perseverance for Michael in the aftermath of one of the darkest events of human history, also told by Hillary Rob Ribbons. 
something to return for. It was October 1939, and German soldiers were coming to the family's red brick house on San Sasnawa Street in Zarki, Poland. It was the day the soldiers began taking contributions, quote-unquote, and Papa, his Papa, was determined to protect what they had. If you're so set on doing this, at least remember the cup! Mamishu called softly, her eyes still trained through the living room window on the armed German soldiers taking valuables from their neighbors' homes. I've already got it, Papa said, ducking out into the backyard as soldiers' voices grew louder and louder. Schnell, schnell, the only German I remember from those terrible, terrible times, terrible, terrible times. From the back door, he counted his steps. He stopped at a soft spot in the soil and dug with his hands like he was gardening. I guess you could say the father was planting, bearing the family seeds of hope. Within a minute, a hidden cavity appeared. He dropped in the sack all the valuables, including one small, unadorned silver cup, a kiddush cup, used on the Sabbath, used on Shabbos. That's a holy day celebrated every week in Jewish homes, obviously from sundown Friday to sundown on Shabbos, marked by tefillah and kiddush and song. It's intended to be a time of rest and the most peaceful day of the week. The Kiddush Cup is raised in gratitude. Back inside, two Nazi soldiers burst through the front door. The mother prayed that the father would return. He materialized in the living room door just in time, his expression giving no hint of panic. His hands, soiled from digging in the dirt, were now just as clean and unsuspicious as his expression. He had gotten the job done. After the war in the spring of 1945, Mamishu raced back to her old house didn't even look like her house anymore. It had been taken over by a Polish woman after the family was sent away. Her heart was racing, but she had no intention of turning around until she found what she had come for. When her husband first buried the family's stash of money and jewels, it had been pretty easy to spot its location. If you knew where to look, five years later, Papa was gone. Mamishu had to rely on rough measurements. Did Israel say 13 steps or was it 14? Mamisha was second-guessing herself. She paced out her steps several times before finally dropping to her knees to dig. She dug into the earth with just her hands. The mother knew that Papa had left enough zlatis in the bag to get set up in a new city. Surely the valuables in the sack would net a nice amount of money for schooling and some proper clothes. She kept digging and eventually wrestled the bag free from the ground. Why does the bag feel so light? Mamishu's face flushed. She knew without opening the bag that she had been robbed again. Her safety net was gone, along with every last physical memory of her old life with the papa. Her heart felt utterly broken. She was about to toss the sack to the ground and leave defeated when she noticed something. There was still some weight inside the bag. She reached into the bottom of the sack and grabbed something cool and curved. She pulled out the family's silver kiddush cup. To Mamishu, this was the greatest treasure of all. Yamach Shemam's army had killed millions of Jews, but it was abundantly clear on that night, you cannot destroy faith. You cannot destroy Emunah. You cannot destroy Bitachon. With memories of Shabbos dinners and laughter swirling in her mind, Mamishu returned the cup to the bag and clutched it to her heart as she started back to the side of the house with a victorious smile on her face. The money could be replaced. Lahavdal, I say all the times, money comes and goes, but memories and happiness for the wife and children can never be replaced. That's what really matters and stays. The money could be replaced. The family Kiddush Cup, though, was irreplaceable. New beginnings in New York. In the May of 1953, Mamisha was late to the author's bar mitzvah, to the, to the main stars bar, of the story's bar mitzvah, the sun. He knew she'd be along soon, but the rabbi told him we couldn't wait any longer. Services had to begin. Tefillah had to begin just as he stepped onto the bima, the stage, the big wooden doors at the back of the room swung open, and the mother came racing to the front row. Unshouldered, she mouthed in Yiddish. Sorry. I don't know Yiddish, but that's what they said. She was wearing a bright honey-colored dress and all her best jewelry. She blew a kiss from, to him from her seat. He couldn't stay mad. During the bar mitzvah, the rabbi raised a tiny silver kiddush cup that he brought to the place with him that morning. He loudly said the blessing over the wine. The cup still had one ding in its side, but to every family member in the crowd, it looked perfect. Not just surviving, but thriving. 
This person is a grandfather now. He recently retired from a long career in pharmaceutical research. His wife and him share days filled with grandchildren, soccer games, birthday parties, and joy. But two generations after this Holocaust, from one survivor, there are four children and 12 grandchildren. There are hundreds of thousands more from other survivors and escapees. The sense of identity is stronger than ever. At the children's weddings and the bris or baby naming, they have one very precious silver Kiddush cup in gratitude and celebration. That family heirloom, once buried in the parents' backyard in Zarki, now stands as a symbol of a faith of Emunah Bitachem that cannot be broken, no matter how great the test. Because it's not just a cup. It's not just something to drink out of. It's something much deeper. You elevate the wine. You elevate the grape juice. It is a legacy. It is a testament to the faith, to the Imunah, to the Betachon, doing the mitzvah of Kiddush on Shabbos. And that stayed with them for generations. Stayed with them from generations. I want to just look at a couple of sources in our last few minutes together, talking about the idea of Kiddush, how important it is that we think about elevating the mundane and we use Kiddush to do so. Gemara Sota 38b talks about a Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, you give a cup of blessing to recite the blessing of Berch only to someone with a generous eye, a generous person. Because it says, one who has a good eye will be blessed, Yivorech. For he gives of his bread to the poor, as Mishle points out. Do not read it as will be blessed. Rather, read it as will bless. Yivarech. So when you do the Kiddush, think about being generous that Hashem should let the coast overflow with blessing and we should live a life where we are generous and we overflow of ourselves to give to others. We elevate the mundane to all those around us. Pesach 102 talks about interrupting one's meal to recite Kiddush. The sages taught, the Chachamim taught, with regards to members of a group who were reclining and eating a meal, and the day of Shabbos was sanctified, they bring one of the diners a cup of wine, and he recites of it the sanctification of the day. He says, Kiddush, the second cup of wife over, of the second cup of wine, excuse me, he recites Birchas Hamazon. The Shulchan Shal Arba talks about one should be careful about doing ten things with the cup of blessing, with the Kiddush. It should be rinsing it, washing away, making sure it's nice and clean, undiluted wine, if you're using wine, the cup should be full. Crowning that it should have the element of crown jewel of Shabbos, wrapping it, holding the cup with two hands, grasping it with the right hand or the stronger hand if you're lefty like me, raising it a hand's breadth, setting one's eyes upon it and passing it on to the members of one's household. Because we want to sanctify it, we want to elevate it, we do it in the right way. Because when we remember Shabbos, as Shemos points out to us in Parachaf, we remember the Shabbos say we need to keep it holy, we need to make it kadosh, we need to make sure to elevate that mundanity and bring it to the spiritual. Zachor es Yom HaShabbos Lekacho. Remember Shabbos. Shamor et Yom HaShabbos Lekacho. Guard Shabbos to keep it holy. The sages taught in a brisa, the Chachamim taught with regard to the Pasuk, remember the day of Shabbos, Zachor es Yom HaShabbos Lekacho from Shemos. Remember it over wine. Or grape juice through the recitation of Kiddush. I only learned from here there's a mitzvah to recite Kiddush during the day. How do we know we have to do it at nighttime? The Pasuk states, remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. Zechor is Yom HaShabbos Lekach, which indicates one should also remember Shabbos as soon as it is sanctified, right away with nightfall. When Shul is done and you're, davening with, you're done davening with the tefillah, you come home and you sanctify Shabbos as soon as you can. The Gemara Ervin 79b talks about a Rava says the elders of Pumpadisa, Rav Yehud and his students, stated two matters. One was stated with regard to lifting the barrel. The other was regard to one who recites Kiddush over wine on Shabbos or festival. If he has tasted a mouthful of wine, he fulfills his obligation. If he doesn't drink it, he didn't fulfill it. Because not only are you sanctifying the liquid by drinking, by ingesting it into yourselves, you are actually elevating that mundane grape juice or wine. In the Chumash, in the Torah, in Devarim, it talks about observing the Shabbos day to keep it holy as Hashem commanded us. We need to keep it holy. We need to elevate everything in our Shabbos. Whatever we can do to elevate the mundane, whether it's a book you love, reading only for Shabbos, a Jewish novel, or a Jewish book, or a Sefer you save just for Shabbos, Lahavdil. Or whether you have special Onik Shabbos like I try to do, just for Shabbos. Sanctify, observe, guard the Shabbos day. Keep it elevated, keep it holy, keep it sanctified with whatever you can do. The Rambam points out in the Mishnah Torah, <coughs> excuse me, in Shabbos, one must not eat anything or drink wine once the Shabbos has arrived until he has recited Kiddush. 
Similarly, when Shabbos comes to an end, you can't drink or eat until you do Abdallah over Kiddush. Over wine grape juice, the Chacham and Mordin, that both Kiddush and Abdallah need the grape juice, need the wine. It's positive duty, a mitzvah, a say, to express the sanctity of the Shabbos day in words, saying, remember to sanctify, because it says, remember to sanctify the Shabbos day from Shemos, remembered in terms of praise and sanctification. One should remember it at its beginning and its conclusion with doing Kiddush when Shabbos begins and Abdallah when it ends. The Mechotar de Rabbi Shmuel says, when it says to sanctify with a blessing where they ruled, it is sanctified by wine, Kiddush upon its entry. This tells me about Kiddush tonight. How do we know Kiddush during the daytime? Because remember the day of Shabbos. Zachor is Yom HaShabbos. This tells me Kiddush for the Shabbos. We know about the festivals from Vayikra. These are the festivals of Hashem, which include Shabbos. You shall call them A in their times. The Gemara B'Sach and B talks about the Gemara continues to discuss the halachos of Kiddush talking about Kiddush itself involved in the idea with regard to the people who recite Kiddush in the, in the shul many people do that the conclusion of the prayer of Shabbos night Rav said they have not fulfilled their obligation to recite a blessing over wine the blessing over the wine in the synagogue in the shul does not enable them to drink wine at home without the blessing they have fulfilled their obligation of reciting Kiddush but not in the home because you need the physical action of drinking the liquid. You need to make Kiddush in your home to sanctify Shabbos, to elevate the mundane day of Friday and elevate to, and separate it to become Shabbos. Pesachim 101a talks about a Shmuel, follows his line of reasoning. Shmuel said there's no valid Kiddush, except in the place of one Shabbos meal. If you don't eat a meal in the location which you do Kiddush, you do not fulfill the mitzvah. Gemar Megillah 27b talks about Rav Zaka was once asked by his students, in the merit of which virtue were you blessed with longevity, said to him, in my, all my days, among other things, I have never neglected the mitzvah of sanctifying the day of Shabbos over wine. I was meticulous about this mitzvah to the extent that I had an elderly mother. Once when I did not have wine, she sold the kerchief that was on her head. From the proceeds, she brought me wine upon which to do the mitzvah of sanctifying the day. The Kedusha Slavi in, Vay- in Bereshus Vayishev talks about how Yaakov experienced many different things. We have a rule, Kol All of God's creations were designated for His honor, which follows that everything we do should be for His honor. Whatever we do, whatever way in life, Suda's Mitzvah and Shabbos, we should sanctify everything we can to bring Hashem down, to bring the, the Shekhinah to our lives. Everything has sparks in this world. We should bring it to add, to add Wonderful elements to bring it to holiness. Spark in this, spark in that. The spark of the Kiddush is there. If you make Kiddush, you bring the wine and you bring that spark to your life. We wash our hands and we say things. We we elevate the, our hands and we bring ourselves to Kedusha. The Tilas Yadayim. Saying the Hamotzi takes the bread and sanctifies it for Shabbos. Saying the Kiddush sanctifies the wine and brings it to elevation. We are able to bring things and honor Hashem by making things elevated, taking the physical and elevating it to the spiritual. Everything in our life we're able to do. The tefillin, our boxes, they're just boxes from cow's hide, but we take the psuk and we put it inside, and it becomes our way to wrap ourselves to Hashem, as we talked about in the tefillin shir a couple of weeks ago. Tzitzes, we talked about in the tzitzes shir, we wrap ourselves, we clock ourselves in our connection to Hashem. It's just a garment, it's just fringes, no. It's not just fringes, it's not just film, it's not just kippah, it's a way to connect to Hashem, to elevate ourselves to Hashem. And that's also with Amotzi Lachem in arts, we take the bread out of the land, Hashem takes the bread out of the land, and we take these sparks and all these aspects and we elevate them to the spiritual. Gemar Shabbos 119b talks about a Revelazer said, a person should always set his table on Shabbos Eve with all the preparations for an important feast, even if he only needs the table for an olive bulk full amount of food, even if it's an olive. Rabbi Hanina said a person should always set his table at the conclusion of Shabbos Saturday night for a feast, the Malava Malka, even if it's just for an olive size, because we're elevating that table. That's our Shulchan and our Mikdash Ma'at in our lives and our homes. Shabbos 117b says, Rav Chista said a person should always rise early on Friday in order to prepare all the expenditures for Shabbos. As it is written by the Mun, it shall be on the sixth day they will prepare that which they have brought from Shemos, indicating the children of Israel, the Bnei Israel, would begin preparing the food for Shabbos immediately upon collecting the Mun in the morning. Everything we could do in life could be elevated. Everything that we have in life could be brought to a higher plane. Even, yes, doing the dishes. Even, yes, being involved in whatever we can in our lives, we 
can elevate those things around us. We can change things around us. We can take what we have in our life and elevate it to a higher level. We can elevate everything. If you take out the trash, you think about how you're making your home, your mikdash cleaner. If you do the dishes and you listen to a shiurim, you listen to Jewish music, you could elevate that aspect to something higher. You take your Shabbos and you eat something special for Shabbos or you drink something special for Shabbos. I've asked my wife before, can we have the grape juice during the week? What about Sunday night? And she says, no, this is special for Shabbos. We're saving it for Kavod Shabbos, for owning Shabbos. You know, Beis Shabbos and Beis Hillel have a machokas in the Talmud. How to go about Shabbos. Beis Hillel would have in mind that he'll find something later in the week special for Shabbos. I believe Beis Shammai would buy something on Sunday, set it aside for Shabbos. If he had something better on Monday, he would eat Sundays and set aside that for Shabbos. Always every day setting aside something, elevating that morsel of food, that piece of meat, that piece of chicken, that aspect of whatever you're going to use for Shabbos, setting it up, saving it for Shabbos, whatever we could be involved in, whatever we could use, whatever we could do in our lives, and the prime example is Kiddush, we could elevate our life, we could elevate our souls, we could elevate ourselves to truly be involved in the Kedusha of our lives. The whole point of what of what we're doing here, our lives, we should be zochet to have 120 years, the whole point is to elevate the mundane to take physical things, material things, we come into this life with the nefesh abahami, the animalistic soul, the materialistic soul, the gashmiya soul. I want this, I need, I need, I need, I want to eat, I want to drink, I want to do this, I want to do that. I need water, I need my kugel, I need my this, I need my that. I'm a foodie, I'm a gastro. I love to eat, I live to eat. No. We take that sikhli to tell us, the spiritual neshama to say, I eat to live. I use this and I elevate it to give me the fuel, to give me the power to continue to serve Hashem, to go forth to do for Hashem, to be involved in this world, to be Mekadish Shem Shemayim, to bring mitzvahs down, to do mitzvahs, to do chesed, to do for other people. You could cook and it could be a tremendous mitzvah, for other people. Jump on a meal train, jump on a potluck, jump on a take them a meal. Give that clothing that's sitting around your closet anyway. That clothing becomes elevated, becomes kadosh, becomes a part of a mitzvah, tashmishe mitzvah. Yad Leah comes once a year, and we try to give what we can. I talk about this often throughout the year. We gave three bags, Baruch Hashem, to them. That clothing became elevated. Mundane clothing can now help warm people in Israel that don't have enough money, that don't have enough clothing. I have those extra cans lying around. Anyway, give it to the food bank. There's a local food bank here in our town, part of the shul. Give it to them. They could use it. You have so many extra toys that you never use. Give it to High Lifeline. Give it to a toy drive. You're elevating the mundane toy that's not being used anyway. You have all these books lying around. That was the impetus, the idea for us to start the free lending library out of our basement. I'm not going to read a 1,000 books. I'm not going to read a 100 books. I'm not going to read 40 books. I read one book at a time. When those books are done, I bring them down to my bookcase, and anyone could come at any time. They, they message me, they set up an appointment time, they take out the book, they take whatever they want, and they get it for a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks, just like a library. A Jewish novel, though, a Jewish book for kids and adults from Feldheim or Sharp Press or Menucha Publishers or Tzifta Publications, whatever. I'm not going to hoard it and keep it in my library, in my room, in my basement for years just because I bought it. I'm not selfish. I'm thinking from a mind and aspect to elevate the mundane books and let other people use it. Selfless. Give to others. Let others use it. I'm not going to ask for it back. If they give it back, it's an honor system. They're supposed to give it back. And God willing, they will give it back. I have a Muna Bittachon that give it back. This is an idea Hashem put into my head. This is what I could do. If I have five strollers lying around, I'm never going to use them. Let someone else use them. And that mundane stroller is now put into effect that other people can use it. We're doing these things. We're thinking about how we can elevate our lives. Think about everything you're involved in on a daily basis. You can give money to someone else. You can give a dollar a day, and you're elevating that dollar to a mitzvah. That's the whole point of dailygiving.org, a beautiful organization that I'm a huge fan of. We're actually part of it. Baruch Hashem, we try to give a dollar, I think one or two credit cards we signed up to, a dollar or so a day from each card, and we're involved in elevating that dollar. It goes to a worthwhile organization, a needy organization. 
What can we do to elevate our life? And it all starts with thinking about Kiddush. We take the grape juice, we take the wine, we elevate it, we sanctify it. And our lives, eating at the table, saying different Torah and singing and talking beautiful Torah and different aspects, that's how we elevate the table. There's a beautiful thing called Circle Time at your Shabbos table. It gives six pages of wonderful stuff to talk to your kids. It has two awesome stories. It has a grama to sing out loud. It has some riddles. It has interesting things about Jewish history and about Uncleus and about Medrash. Very easy. Circle Time gives it to you. It's free. Even the art school table also at the Shabbos table. Very easy. Four pages of wonderful material for your Shabbos table. You elevate that table. You elevate the mundane. You take the Shabbos candles, the Hanukkah candles, Yom Tov candles. You're elevating it to a spiritual existence. You take your laundry. You take your chores. You take your dishes. You take your garbage. Whatever you're involved in. If you think about the mitzvah of taking care of your family, the mitzvah of elevating things and elevating your life, everything can be elevated in your life. You take the mundane and you elevate to the spiritual. If we were all able to take those things around us, to elevate those things around us, to think what we can do to elevate the world, to make the world more beautiful, more elevated, more spiritual, more peaceful, maybe we could finally be Zohar for Mashiach to come speedily in our days and may that day in fact be today. Join us next time Monday nights at 8.30 when we talk Tani Talks Radio brought to you by Sheer Enjoyment Radio powered by Radio.co where we talk a topic or topics for the week for the audience members to keep. Don't forget to join us on the Tani Talks Podcast WhatsApp. Don't forget to listen to us on the Tani Talks Podcast series. You can listen on Yidpod or Google or Spotify or or iTunes and you can hear us Round the clock, Baruch Hashem, besides for Shabbos and Yom Tov, on the Sheer Enjoyment Radio app on Google Play or Apple App Store. And join us next time here on Tani Talks Radio. And I'm your host, Tani.